to the Punk Rock Libertarians podcast, episode 286. I'm here tonight with Jared Schneiderman. What's up, guys? Kyle Wagner. Hey, guys. James Babb. Hello. And the vice presidential nominee of the Libertarian Party, Spike Cohen. Welcome, Spike. Hi. Hey, man. How are you guys doing? Pretty doing awesome. good, man. Pretty good. It, it, it's great to have you here, dude. Yeah. It's great to be here. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Yeah, man. Like we're like just really excited about uh, about you coming on, and more more excited than that, we're just like so excited about the uh, ticket, the Joe Jorgensen ticket. You know, um, it's you know we just we just had Joe on uh, on Thursday night, and one of the things I told her was, and uh, it, it's I can't imagine a ticket unifying the party the way this ticket has. Yeah, know? as far as like radicals and pragmatics. It's crazy because, um, you know, so interestingly enough, and I agree, uh, she's absolutely, and I'm sorry, I'm a little distracted because I'm sharing this everywhere on all my social media. So now you have my attention. <laughs> okay. Hey, everybody. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I, uh, this is definitely a fusion ticket. Uh, finally, uh, we have a situation where no one got 100% of what they wanted. Finally, in our times. No, we got, we got a situation where the uh, pragmatic people who wanted more traditional less, uh, messaging got what they wanted, and the radical people who wanted a, a radical doctrinaire principled application of the Libertarian Party platform and, some, and it presented at times in a more radical and dynamic way got what they wanted. Um, so it was really a fusion, compromise, unity ticket. Um, I, and interestingly enough, when I, when I, after, shortly after I got the nomination, I thought, okay, now let me see who I've been paired with. Um, and so I go to her website and I, and I go to the issues page and I'm bracing myself thinking, let's see what I just got into. How am I going to message this? And so I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm reading through her stuff on the war on drugs and ending the wars and, you know, on, uh, on the debt and on taxes and I'm reading it and I'm going, I don't find any of this objectionable. Like, I actually agree with all of this. I am fine with bringing the troops home and only keeping what is sufficient to defend against aggression because I personally don't think there's going to be a lot of aggression, which means that I don't think we're going to have to have much of a military. Once we bring the troops home and end the blowback, I, I think that that'll happen. And then I'm looking, I'm like, yeah, don't add to the debt. And yeah, taxation, got to get rid of the IRS. And I'm like, I think this is probably what I agree with 100% here. And, and then, you know, in reading it and in talking with Joe, I realized what she is presenting is a pretty radical interpretation of the entire Libertarian Party platform. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty excited to move forward on this. I, uh, you know, I, I definitely think that we are going to be able to, in both our different styles of messaging and uh, the way that we present to people, uh, I think that we're going to be able to really, uh, you know, hit on all cylinders with reaching uh, all of the different types of voters that are out there. So, um, Spike, tell us a little bit about like where you you came from, like before you were uh, before you found Liberty. You know. Oh wow! So I was a neocon. I was a hardcore neocon, and. Um, you know, I post 9-11, very much into the whole, you know, we're going to spread democracy around the world. We're going to, you know, we the, the terrorists hate us for our freedom. And, you know, we have to spread the American way of life to them through bombs. And with these bombs, we will create a new democratic order uh, to protect us and our greatest ally, Israel. And I mean, I just bought, bought into <laughs> the entire thing. We have to stop Islamo-fascism and like the whole thing. Like I bought into the entire idea. Uh, and at the same time, uh, I was also a uh, business owner. I had started a web design company back in 1999 when I was a teenager. And so coming into the early 2000s, I thought I knew everything. I was in my early 20s and I knew, you know, that we needed to spread this new American century using our, you know, powerful, beautiful military. And uh, two things happened. One, I saw the actual how the Iraq war and how the Afghanistan war actually played out we didn't spread democracy we killed a bunch of people and 
a bunch of our friends and neighbors died. A lot of our relatives died and many more of them came home with PTSD and uh, traumatic brain injuries and you know all sorts of other injuries and everything else. And then we saw this epidemic of veteran suicide um, and we, we saw blowback from countries who had been terrorized by the U.S. military for years and, and, and even decades before that, before it really heated up after, after 9-11. And I realized something. That guy, Ron Paul, that I hated so much, who had been pissing me off every time he talked about blowback and non-interventionalism <laughs> and all of that, he was 100% correct about all of that. Hmm. And then another thing was happening too. As my business got more and more successful and I got taxed more and more and regulated more and more, and I spoke to other small business owners because most of my clients were small businesses. And also I had some medium and large business, business clients. And in speaking to all of them and realizing how tough they made it for people to be entrepreneurs. And then in speaking to other people who were, you know, customers of these people and seeing how government made their lives harder, it really made me realize that no, government's actually not here to help us. Government is here to take from us uh, to the benefit of their themselves and their favored cronies. And so that kind of pushed me over time from this would have been my, my, my transitional period kind of probably started 06, 07, something like that. And I, I, I kind of went from being a neocon to being more of a, you know, kind of a conservative constitutionalist type to being more of a maybe like a, a classical liberal minarchist type until eventually being a, a radical libertarian that I am now. So that's what that's what brought me here. So uh, what year was that? Yeah. How long was that? How long was that transitional period? Yeah, yeah. A few years, like I said, I, I haven't really kept up with it. I first came out as an anarchist sometime like late 2015, early 2016. Although when I go back to my post on Facebook, I was being pretty clear about what I wanted as recently as like 2014. I would occasionally go, well, it sounds like anarchy is not that bad compared to this. So, but I mean, I would say I was probably a, a, definitely a, at least a radical minarchist by like 2012, 2013, something like that. Um, well, welcome to the club. Yeah. So tell us about your, your business background. From what I understand, you, uh, you're a pretty awesome business dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not a billionaire or anything like that. I, I started my company and, uh, I, uh, started it as a teenager and it was from the idea that it, again, very libertarian idea of how I started my business. Uh, my parents used to have me uh, do work on the summers. And so like uh, I did busing tables. I did uh, a lot, a lot of service industry stuff. I'm in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, which is a tourist town. So I did like busing tables, helping with the kitchen and stuff like that. Uh, one summer I did landscaping, which was a nightmare. I was in incredible shape by the end of the summer, but my God, what a, what a tough way to make a living. And mm -hmm. what I noticed whenever I did these things as a teenager, was that there were other people who were doing what I was doing who were twice or sometimes three times my age who were still doing what I was doing and who were being bossed around by people who often were younger than them. And I thought, well, I definitely don't want to do that. And I didn't really see college as a way to go because I thought, okay, I'm going to go spend four to eight years in school and run up tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And then once I'm in my mid to late 20s, I'll be able to start working and hopefully stop paying off that debt. I don't think this is a good idea. So I, I looked into a business that I could start that was disruptive. It was a new sector, something, something I could get into on the ground floor. Website design was absolutely that. Uh, I looked for something that I could do from home uh, because I couldn't afford to do a, uh, you know, get into it, you know, open a, a storefront. Uh, and the website design was definitely that. And I needed something that people could still take me seriously in doing, even though I was a kid. Uh, and website design was that. And I needed something that didn't require a bunch of, you know, require me to go to school and get, you know, all this arbitrary licensing and website design was that. So I got into web design. I learned how to do it, made some sites for free just to get a portfolio um, and eventually worked my way up to be able, being able to charge market pricing. I grew that company into something that was something I could, you know, retire on, uh, you know, uh, a few years ago. Uh, I originally intended to be doing this longer, uh, but then I was actually in 2014, the right side of my body went numb. And I thought, uh oh, here's a problem. And went to the uh, ER, got, uh, got an MRI, and uh, actually went through going to many doctors. They couldn't quite figure out what it was. A couple of weeks later, ended up in an ER, uh, and they said, you might have MS. And I said, no, nah, I'm pretty sure I do have MS. And they said, well, we're not ready to say that yet, but, we're, but we think you might have MS, but we're not sure yet. 
Fast forward two years later, 2016, I start having some new exciting symptoms and I thought, well, I'm pretty sure I have MS. And they confirmed, they said, yep, no, it looks like you do have MS. And so in 2017, uh, I had to take a real hard look at things. I was being told that I needed to reduce stress and that I needed to uh, just try to live a healthier life. And I was very, very stressed out with my business. And uh, in researching things, like here I am Googling how to live a less stressful life, you know, in my 30s. And one of the things was living life that's driven by purpose. So that when you wake up, you're excited to do whatever's on your plate instead of dreading it. And I thought, okay, well, what do I want to do? Well, I want to talk about freedom. I want to talk about liberty to people who have never heard such things. And so uh, I retired from web design. Thankfully, I was in a position to be able to do that. And um, I went full time into what I was doing. I actually took a brief hiatus, a few months hiatus of not really doing much of anything except learning to live a more peaceful life. And then after that, I got into uh, into doing libertarian messaging. And that culminated with my becoming the host of my fellow Americans, the co-host of the Muddy Waters of Freedom, and the co-owner of Muddy Waters Media. And we have been, uh, for the past few years, we have been, uh, well, for the past three years, Muddy Waters Media has been using entertainment to spread a message of liberty outside of libertarian circles to a public that hasn't heard ideas like self-ownership and, and uh, voluntary solutions over coercive ones and non-aggression and property rights and things like that. So that's what uh, got me where I am today. So with the Muddy Waters Media, would you say your audience is like 50% libertarian or I mean, like, what would, how would you break it down if you had to guess? Well, thankfully, we've been so successful that it has become increasingly libertarian over time. So it, it probably was at one point far less of a percentage of libertarians. But as we've been kind of mud pilling them into libertarianism, I guess, uh, they have be, it has become increasingly libertarian. But 50 50 is probably close. I mean, we haven't done deep analytics on it, but that's probably a pretty close uh, ballpark. Does that mean have- you're converting the status or chasing them away? No, no, no. I would say, yeah, no, in, in converting them and in, in bringing people over into libertarian ideas and not just libertarian so ideas, but bringing them kind of past go straight into radical libertarianism. In fact, wow. a lot of our followers that came in as statists when I announced my candidacy were like, voting is violence. I'm not going to vote. And I'm like, I remember when you were a Republican. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, but so, you know, kind of bringing them into ideas of defensive voting now. But uh, I, I certainly won't begrudge anyone who, who you know, doesn't vote on principled uh, libertarian terms. Uh, I'd love their vote if they do want to vote, but no, I, I, I converting them over time into uh, really principled radical libertarianism. Yeah. So I, I'm thinking about sending Kyle over there. Do you guys have like? A program? <laughs> do we have a what? Do you have like a summer camp program? A summer camp program? We should probably do something like that, like a retreat, <laughs> a statist, like a go- uh, like a gulag. Like a deprogramming <laughs> thing. A status they- deprogram- deprogramming retreat in like, you know, the Cayman can, Islands or something. Can we pray the statism away? <laughs> well, you know, I'm I mean, afraid, uh, I'm Mike, afraid I'm beyond help, guys. You know, I mean, Mike, you know, Mike, Mike, Mike Pence may have an idea for, you know, electrocuting status until they're, uh, you know, libertarians <laughs> or something, but uh, certainly something I wouldn't propose. I'll say that. <laughs> So do you do you plan on using your uh, web design expertise on this campaign a bunch with uh, with Joe or or how is that going to work out? Well, I think my, I think more so than the actual web design itself is the leadership and marketing and sales techniques that I have learned and messaging techniques that I learned first with my company and then later with you know Muddy Waters. Um, there are plenty of people who's uh, highest and best usage would be in doing the web design angle of it. Um, I can certainly give some input on it, uh, but I think my best usage is in the, you know, the, the, the messaging end of it as the actual, you know, VP candidate. Sure. And so how did you, uh, how'd you get hooked up with Vermin Supreme? How did that whole Vermin Supreme? Oh my gosh. Oh man. So I've been a fan of Vermin since at least I think it was 2008 was the first time I saw him. And, you know, I've been kind of following him. The first time I saw a news article about a news item about this guy with a boot on his head in New Hampshire who, uh, you know, was running for president. And I'm like, what? And so I, and I, and so I, you know, I, I, I looked up more about him, looked at YouTube interviews and stuff like that. And I got the joke immediately. I was one of the first hashtag in on the joke people. I was, I'm like, I totally get what this guy is saying with all this stuff. I get the allegories here. And so I kept following him in every cycle and I, I'd love watching him get more votes than actual candidates who 
you know, had actual campaign teams and he would like, he would come just behind the major candidates. He'd come just behind, you know, Obama and Hillary and stuff like that. And he'd beat, you know, he'd beat these other people. And I'm like, that's right. You know, that's, that's, this is fantastic. And then of course, when he, uh, when he made Terry, uh, I forget the guy's last name, when he made him gay by putting, by pouring glitter on him, um, you know, that is sort of starting the whole glitter bombing thing. Uh, Mm. I've just been a huge fan of Vermin's for many years. But when I heard that he was running for the Libertarian Party presidential nomination, I thought, oh boy, I don't know what I think of this. And so I looked into it because some people that I really greatly respected were all in. And I thought, well, they're not all crazy. Maybe there's something to this. And so, so did I you did you think he was trying to make a mockery of the party at first? Was no, like, no, I never thought fear? that. I always okay. I, I always thought that his that his intentions were 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 okay. sincere. I always believed that. I was concerned about how successful it would be. And okay. so in looking into it, I thought this guy's speaking to an entire group of people who aren't the least bit interested in politics. And so I had him on my show and we, we had a great time. We had a fun time. I, I asked him some serious stuff, but we, we mostly just goofed off for like an hour and had an absolute blast. And apparently it hit hard because he kept saying to his team, you know, like, I really like that Spike guy. That was my favorite interview. And so then we ended up hanging out. They invited me to go hang out with Vermin. Uh, me and my co-host, Matt Wright, went and hung out with uh, Vermin and uh, his Southeast coordinator, Dave Jones, uh, in an Airbnb when they came down for the South Carolina Libertarian Party Convention which was a tremendous, it was an absolute blast. And we had a fun, we had a fun time the whole weekend. And uh, he had such a great time with me that a couple of weeks later, he, uh, he's, his team reached out to me and said, how would you like to be Vermin Supreme's running mate? Wow. And I'm well, like, uh, Spike, where did the chances of Vermin having some sort of like a cabinet position in the Jorgensen administration? So we are actually, we just worked this out. Uh, Vermin is, has endorsed Joe and will be campaigning at times with me uh, on the solemn promise that when we are elected to office, he will be in charge of distributing uh, all the ponies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Rock on. What is the, what is the official position going to be called? <laughs> uh, Department of Treasury. Uh, he will be the Secretary, Secretary of Treasury. Uh, that is the promise he was re- he received right from the top uh, okay. that he will be doing that. And uh, you know the the fun thing about the satire is that first of all, it's a fun break from serious messaging. You know, the other ninety nine percent of the time. But also, sure. what we saw uh, in our campaigning and, and even still now, even though the vast majority of time I am a serious campaigner, what we've also found is that there is a segment of society that is so disgusted with the way things are right now that they don't want to hear anything from any politician or any political thinker or any pundit or any anything. They don't want to hear any of it. They're sick of politics. And if you listen to why they're sick of politics, it's things like, well, politicians don't listen to me, so why would I vote for them? Government's always going to have it out for me, so why would I participate in their process? Voting isn't even that effective, so why would I do it? These are all libertarian ideas behind why they want nothing to do with politics. And mm-hmm. so if we could reach them with the libertarian message, we can bring them into the fold and they can become libertarians with us. But there's just one problem. They have no interest in hearing from us or any other politician or any other political anything. They don't want to hear it. They're sick of the whole thing. But if you entertain them, if you get them with an entertaining message, something that gets their attention, something that makes them laugh, something that they can enjoy, now you have their attention. You're not a politician saying something to them. You're someone entertaining them. And they like that. They want to hear more. And now you have their attention and you've lowered their cognitive defense because, again, you're not a politician that's telling them something that's either boring them or challenging them. You're just having a fun time with them. And so their defenses are down. They're completely open to what you have to say. They sense that there's some kind of underlying message here, but they're just being entertained and they're mostly enjoying that. But over time, they want to know more. Well, what is this really about? Now that their defenses are down, they're actually engaged with what you're doing. What is this all about? Why are you doing this? What do you really believe? And that's when we hit them with the message of liberty. That's when we talk to them about self-ownership. That's when we talk to them about solutions to the problems that we all face. We called it boot pilling and it, it worked <laughs> incredibly. You know, we get them with the boot, we get them with the ponies, we get them with the cheesy bread and the badger and the zombies and baby Hitler and all that stuff. We bring them in with that <laughs> and now they're interested. You know, you got to kill, got to kill baby Hitler. And right. you know, you get them with that and then you bring them into the message of libertarianism and it worked incredibly. Uh, we had a, a libertarian party presidential recruitment competition back in April and uh, our team 
got nearly twice as many new memberships to the Libertarian Party as every other candidate combined. And that is a testament to the effect of satirical messaging. Now, with that said, Joe is a serious campaign. And I, I, he's a serious campaigner. I am a serious campaigner. Even when I was campaigning with Vermin, I was serious the vast majority of the time. Uh, I plan to be and always did plan to be serious, no matter who I was paired with. I always plan to do serious campaigning. I plan to do serious campaigning moving forward. In appropriate times where satire is appropriate, then I will be campaigning and doing some serious, some you know, satirical and fun stuff often with vermin that will be something that we will be doing in appropriate times uh but for example right now with what happened with george floyd the murder of george floyd and the protests and the riots that are happening as a result of that you know for me to come in and to approach that in a in a you know joking way i find not only would not be effective but would actually be insulting to the people who are the most acutely affected by that kind of Of stuff so satire has its place uh, but I think that right now, um, I, and not just right now, but usually in general, serious is the way to go. But satire definitely has its place and uh, and will continue to have its place in this campaign. So you, you're telling the punk rock libertarians that serious is usually the way to go. Okay. <laughs> no, no, Noted. I, but, but Noted. Again, in inappropriate places. Yeah. I, and I think that, you know, the you know, as someone who's worried about the pandemic and the lockdowns and the things like that, you know, if you primarily come to them with like, well, that sounds terrible. You sound like you need cheesy bread. It's not going to come off the way that we want it to come off. But in the Spike, we're just trying to, we're just trying to free the nipple over here, Spike. No, I see. I see. I'm the only one wearing clothes. Um, (laughs) Such a prude, Spike. Really? Oh, this is going to be the new, this is going to be the new scandal is that, you know, I, I was clothed around a bunch of people with their shirts off. I love it. I love that that's the, that's the new skin. I can't win whether I'm wearing right, clothes and, or and not wearing clothes. It's just our shirts we don't have on. Right. 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 <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, and that's the thing. Like, it's, it is uh, – so, okay, well, let's, let's talk about Nipplegate. Um, <laughs> yes, please. Let's talk about Nipplegate. Um, so <laughs> – Nipplegate was a fun thing where uh, shortly after I was nominated, a lot of the Libertarian Party did not know who I was because most of my messaging prior to campaigning has been outside of Libertarian circles. And a lot of Libertarians don't pay attention to to the nomination contest. Uh, A lot of people, their first reaction was, what do you mean Justin Amash wasn't nominated? Like a lot of them didn't even know he had dropped out. Um, And so with these, uh, you know, Libertarian voters that weren't as, uh, you know, uh, part of the pro- the actual nomination process, they hear Spike Cohen got nominated. Well, who's Spike Cohen? And so, you know, knowing very little about me, they may have gone on my Facebook or whatever, and they saw that I had a profile picture uh, of myself at the beach. And a oddly large number of libertarians were not happy about that at all. How dare this man be at the beach, n- topless at the beach? Like literally in the water, without a shirt. And because so was did, it uh, was it uncomfortably sexy for them, and they they felt unusually aroused and felt guilty, or what? I mean, what was going on there? <laughs> that's a theory. Do you think you were giving uh, these guys wood? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, listen, that's that's a theory, right? Uh, but we did create uh, we did create a uh, we did create a space for them. We created the Libertarians Must Wear Shirts to the Beach Caucus, and uh, it is uh, it is a place for them to express their frustration about such things. Um, and so it's a big tent. Uh, it's a big tent. A yeah, big no, listen, tent. we 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 definitely want to remain clothed at the in in water Libertarians. We don't want to leave them. And this is a this is a fusion candidate, uh, fusion ticket. But so. I went on the Chris and Jesse show, uh, you know, which is a late night comedy libertarian show. And I went on and we had the idea that I would just take my shirt off uh, and just talk seriously the whole time. We would talk about nothing but serious stuff the whole time. And I would have no shirt on. And uh, I was not I did not think it would create as big of a of a a, um, a splash as it did. Um, but it did. And uh, it, it accomplished a few things there. First of all, now everyone knows who I am. Uh, and then the other sure. thing that happened there is for the people who want me to, you know, the people who were hoping I would campaign satirically all the time, who may now get, dis- who may have gotten disappointed to now see that, no, actually, I always plan to campaign seriously. They now realize that, you know, I am not doing this out of fear of anyone. 
uh, I'm doing this because that was always the plan. Because if I was doing it out of fear, I wouldn't have taken my shirt off uh, during a, you know, during a, a, an interview. Uh, right. And the people who are, you know, now being exposed to me for the first time by seeing me with my shirt off uh, are now going to see me campaigning seriously and be like, oh, okay, good. This is fine. This is good. And they've now been exposed to me. And also, again, with the satirical stuff, we had so many people reach out to the Chris and Jesse show and say, I came in because I heard about some guy had just been nominated for VP who had his shirt off. So I watched this and I am 100% behind what you guys are saying. So it brought in, again, the boot pill method, it it brought in people, it brought in people for, you know, they came for the nipples and they stayed for the libertarianism. So, you know, (laughs) I gotta say, I gotta say, I liked your, uh, your response video where you, where you shit on Liberty hangout. Oh, tell <laughs> us, was tell, tell us about that video. For I wish, and maybe we could put the link to it in yeah, the show I'll, notes because I yeah. thought it was also brilliant. Tell us about your response and how, well, how you thing. came up with that message. Yeah. So, I had no intention of responding to people who were angry that my shirt was off because it was. I have never done a a an interview with my shirt off or had an episode of my podcast with a shirt off or anything like that before and i don't really plan on doing it again in the future i mean i may end up getting interviewed on the while i'm at the beach or something like that but i that that's not my thing i'm not a hey everyone look at me i'm gonna take my shirt off like it's it's you know that's not what i have done um but so i never intended to respond to that but i was getting some a, a, a worryingly large number of people who were saying why are you wearing liberty hangout stuff because and it was this <laughs> taxation is theft hat that I had on. And uh, the last thing I wanted was for anyone to think that I was caping for Liberty Hangout. So I I made a video that just said, you know, addressing uh, last night's controversy. Uh, And so I said that, you know, I, uh, I was, uh, I wanted to address the, uh, the the controversy over my choice of attire last night on the Chris and Jesse show. And that, you know, I was, I was overwhelmed by the, uh, you know, the overwhelming support that I received from my from my supporters, uh, but that there were some legitimate criticisms from that, from people who were worried about, you know, what I, what I wore during that. So I would just like to let everyone know that the hat I wore uh, was not from Liberty Hangout. Uh, it's from Dan Taxationist Theft Berman, uh, and that you can get one uh, today at taxationistheft.cards uh, that you can buy a taxationist theft hat. And while you got your uh, credit card out, be sure to go to donate dot joj2020.com and uh, and donate today to help joe uh joe jorgensen and i in our campaign to uh talk to the american people about liberty and and present a uh, a libertarian solution of of setting the uh, the people in the markets free in our time or whatever i said and uh it's gotten a ton of views gotten like some like i don't know between facebook and and youtube it's gotten close to fifty thousand views and uh and we got a huge we got i want to say we got something like three thousand dollars in in uh in um, donations right around the time that I put that out. Wow. Uh, that, that's been pretty much directly attributed to that. So uh, smashing success all the way around. And I addressed the only concern that I felt was truly something to be concerned about was whether or not I was uh, caping for Liberty Hangout, which I am not. Definitely not. Perfect. Awesome. <laughs> Perfect. Turn, turn, turn their stupidity that's, into a positive that's, that's for, a your own, for your own uh, campaign. So I think that was great. Yeah. Your uh, Wikipedia says you were born in Baltimore. Did you live in Baltimore for any period of time? Just a few years. In fact, that's actually part of my origin story. So Vermin Supreme ran for uh, mayor of Baltimore in 1987 and lost. And uh, my parents, uh, some would say coincidentally, I certainly wouldn't. uh, They moved uh, from uh, 1988. They moved from uh, Baltimore to Myrtle Beach. And so I like to say that they moved to Myrtle Beach because Vermin Supreme lost the uh, the mayoral election. Uh, I asked them if that was true and they didn't say anything. So I'm, I'm definitely taking <laughs> Neither that confirm as a nor deny. Close I, enough. I'm, yeah, I'm taking that as a, uh, you know, um, uh, acknowledgement by silence that that's why. Uh, but yeah, no, I was there. We moved when I was uh, just before my sixth birthday. So I don't have a lot of memories there, but I lived there for the first uh, like five years of my life. Cool. So, this you- podcast is based in Baltimore. Well, you know, so... Oh, nice. um, we're local. Oh, cool. I wonder if uh, Vermin wore his boot during that campaign. Uh, I want to say that the boot came later. I think he first mm. started wearing the boot in the 90s, but I'm not positive of that. But I believe that the 90s was when the boot happened. Um, and uh, he's had many different changes. If you go through, you know, if you go like Vermin Supreme's wiki or, uh, you know, Vermin, you Google Vermin, he's had a, a lot of uh, 
costume changes over time. He used to dress almost like a, a warrior for a long period of time with the boot. And then over time that kind of just gave way to just wearing a boot and, and, you know, dressing, uh, you know, as sort of a, uh, uh, over uh, embellished politician with mold, you know, not just one tie, but like six or seven ties and, you know, uh, his Armani jacket that he likes to wear and all that stuff. So um, yeah, no, uh, he, uh, uh, I, but yeah, no, I believe the boot was started sometime in the nineties. Nice. All right. Um, we do have some questions. Um from the fans here let's see oh, that's right because i keep forgetting this is live yeah yeah, yeah this is uh, this this question came in uh before the podcast but yeah we are live um well, let's see here's a light one uh what is your favorite intoxicating substance so i have been sober for 14 years oh, wow. um but when i was not sober uh, my favorite was uh weed and that's both true and the safest recommendation I can make for someone who wants to not to, who wants to be intoxicated because weed is largely harmless. Um, so no, I, uh, I was a, a very, uh, uh, I guess that's part of my story too. I don't really uh, talk about that a lot unless I'm asked about it. Um, okay. I'm open about it, but it, it, you know, it's just not, uh, it, it's, you know, tell us about your descent into libertarianism. I'm like, well, I was a drug addict and that made me a neocon. Um, but it, it's interesting. My drug addiction times, I was also a statist. So as I became sober, I also became a libertarian. So I like to think that I was a little drug addled and that's, that's what made me be more of a statist. But, mm. um, yeah, I was a drug addict for the better part of a decade and, uh, and then, uh, uh have been sober for going on 14 years now. Cool. So, hear, uh, so where do your parents stand politically and how do they feel about your, uh, vice presidential run? Well, my, my parents are incredibly supportive and, and support what I'm doing 100%. My dad actually joined the Libertarian Party. Actually, they both did. Uh, but my dad was very vocal about joining the, polit the Libertarian Party as a, as a result of it. Um, they are both kind of, I would say, liberty-leaning Republicans and sort of always have been. It was kind of interesting when I was a neocon that I sort of was like to the right of them on, on, on a lot of subjects. But uh um, you know, my dad very much growing up, you know, I, I'm Jewish and, and growing up, my dad was very much like, you know, this is one of the longest period of times, uh, periods of time that Jews have lived, you know, overwhelmingly outnumbered by Gentiles in peace. And historically, we've seen that that can change over time. So, you know, we need to be able to take care of ourselves if things get bad and we need to be able to defend ourselves if things go bad. And, you know, we can't trust government when they get into, you know, scapegoating different populations because they can turn around and do that to us, too. So there was always sort of that, uh, you know, even when I was in the Ocon, I was always kind of suspicious of government trying to, uh, you know, scapegoat different groups and stuff like that. Maybe not as much as I should have been, uh, but I, I certainly was always sensitive, at least as it came to Jews, you know, that, that they could turn and blame this all on Jews and there aren't a lot of us and it would not be hard to marginalize us pretty quickly. Uh, and so over time, as I've gotten older, definitely I've come to realize that, you know, if, if understanding that that could happen to us, uh, we also need to understand that that is happening to others and that we need to be uh, speaking out on behalf of them because we're in a position where our words are taken a lot more seriously than theirs may be on those subjects. So that is why I am so, uh, you know, big on the anti-racist front and on speaking for marginalized communities and things like that, because A, it's the right thing to do. B, it's all about harm reduction. And C, after them, it could be us next. Um, so that's a big part of it. So on that, on that topic, um, what are your thoughts on the uh, the George Floyd um, tragedy and the uh, protests that have happened in in its wake? Oh man! Well, I mean, listen, we just we watched a video, and if you haven't seen, for those who haven't seen the George Floyd video, I'm not even sure I want to recommend that you watch it. Uh, I guess I would recommend if you watch it that you watch it if you can handle really terrible things. Uh, if you think you can't, just assume that you can't because I've seen some really brutal stuff, really like, like um, violent and, 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 you know, graphic stuff. But this video is of a man lying down handcuffed while a police officer casually murders him in front of a crowd by kneeling on his neck while he dies slowly. And it's, when I say casually, the cop had his hands in his pockets. Hmm. He didn't feel any threat. 
the crowd is begging him to get off of George's neck. And almost, it seems, to spite them, he just kneeled there until it was apparent that he had died or that he was dying. And then all of a sudden they, you know, jumped to, uh, you know, trying to give him CPR and all this. Well, he's gone. They killed him. And, uh, and we watched it happen in front of us. And this speaks to what the police state has been doing really everywhere, but especially in marginalized communities, poor communities, communities of color for decades, centuries. And we just now can see it because we now are all carrying HD cameras around. But for the people living in these communities, they already knew this was happening. And we now all get to see it. And a few weeks before that, or a few days before, a couple weeks before that, we heard the story in Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky, of Breonna Taylor, who was a paramedic who was asleep at home with her boyfriend. And plainclothes police officers showed up to serve a no-knock warrant on someone who did not live there and who was already under police custody. So we have no idea why they were even there in the first place. They broke into her home, did not announce themselves, woke up Brianna and her boyfriend, and I, I forget her boyfriend's name at the moment, but he, uh, they called 911. The boyfriend came out with a legally owned weapon and fired on the officers who, again, what he was seeing was plainclothes people who had just broken into their home and right. did not announce themselves as police officers. And they fired back, killing Brianna, and then arrested uh, the boyfriend for attempted murder for shooting at the police officers. Now, thankfully, those charges were dropped, but the state broke into someone's home and murdered them. We see this time and time again, Duncan Lemp, right. Waco, Ruby Ridge, Lavoy Finicum, oh gosh, Tamir Rice. We see this time and time again. Um, Kelly Thomas. Well, what about the what about the libertarian solution? What do you say? Well, what are libertarians going to do to rein in police? Well, I think we need common sense police control for the children. I think that we need to. What does that actually look like? Right. So, uh, so from the federal level. So, for example, we're running we're running for president and vice president. We need to end the civil asset forfeiture program immediately because that is a big part of what is funding all of this nonsense, and it is happening from the top. Um, we need to end the demilitarization. We need to end the militarization of police by, you know, giving them all these ridiculous armaments. We need to hold any kind of funding that is, first of all, cut a lot of the funding, but hold any kind of state funding to and and hold it directly to the states reforming how the police interact with each other. And that uh, means ending the war on drugs, not just at the federal level, but at the state level as well. Ending the war on victimless commerce. So uh, drugs, sex work, all of that stuff. End the war on victimless commerce and set those people free. We need to end the, the militarized culture that is happening in police departments. I see time and time again where police officers, you know, they, they talk about, you know, I'm going back on the front lines. No, you aren't. You're going into our neighborhoods. <laughs> You're going into where we live. We are not enemy well, combatants. They turn them into battlegrounds. Well, that's, to, well, yeah, that's the problem. That's the they, to them, it's a war and it's yeah. a war on us. And that's the problem is that it is a war on us and it is especially a war on the poor and people of color, but it's a war on all of us. Duncan Lemp was not a person of color. Duncan Lemp, I, I don't know what his, what his income level was, but you know, this happens to everyone. This happens to financially secure people. This happens to white people as well. Disproportionately, it happens to the most marginalized, to the most marginalized among us, but it happens to all of us and it needs to end. And so on the federal level, demilitarization of the police, uh, uh, defunding of these types of police operations, Ending the war on drugs, ending the war on sex work, um, uh, ending the, 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 the culture of treating us like enemy combatants, uh, and, and even worse than enemy combatants, because the, the, the uh, rules of, oper- the rules of, con- of engagement uh, for the military fighting overseas is far more strict than it is for, for police officers fighting, as they see it, us. So that is what we need to be doing. That's the libertarian solution at the federal level for that. Yeah, hundred um, percent. What are your thoughts on all the sort of all the protests that are happening, the rioting, the looting, vandalism? Where do you kind of what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, there's a few different things there. So the the protests obviously are completely completely legitimate, and the rioting. If we are talking about people who are reacting to 
state actions against their protest, I think that's perfectly legitimate too. I think that you have people that are either through frustration or just to take advantage of the situation. They're now going and, you know, looting businesses and things like that. And that's certainly not anything I support. And, you know, I mean, again, uh, I'm, I'm less worried about Target and Walmart who, you know, will more than be able to pay for that, you know, whatever damage is done. I'm, I'm more worried about the small business businesses that are harmed. I just watched a video of a guy uh, who has lived in, I, I, I'm not sure which city this was in, but he, you know, his business is, is burning behind him and he's yelling out to people, you know, why are you doing this? I've lived here my whole life. I didn't do anything. Right. What did I do? I didn't do anything wrong. And, you know, my heart goes out to, to, to those folks. And I think, you know, we need to speak out against the, the damage that's being done in those ways. Uh, even though that stuff can be replaced and George Floyd cannot, that's not a reason to do that. Um, and I'm certainly not going to advise people uh, to engage in violence against the state uh, unless it's in direct uh, defense of themselves or others, uh, because mostly on the grounds of it's not going to work, they're just going to kill you. Yeah. And it's, it's just not a good, it's just not a good idea. And, well, Spike, and, you, Spike, you didn't catch a little wood when you heard that police station was on fire? <laughs> Listen, like I said, I, 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 you know, I'm running for office. Um, no. <laughs> uh, no, here's the thing. The police state, the most important thing here is all of this, all of this, good and bad, all of the protesting, all of the uh, uh, things being burned down, all of the looting, all of that falls, all the blame for that falls at the feet of the people who started this. There were no riots happening before Breonna Taylor was murdered. There were no riots happening before George Floyd was murdered. There were no riots happening before the police did their newest round of casually murdering our friends and our neighbors and our family. They started this. So every bad thing that happens as a result, every bad actor who takes advantage of this, all of that falls at the blame of a militarized police state that treats us and our friends and our neighbors and their friends and neighbors. They don't live in police land. They live in our neighborhoods. <laughs> right. Treating all of our friends and neighbors as enemy combatants. They created the conditions for this. And the only way this is going to end is by ending the harm, reducing the harm, harm reduction by the state, the things that are being done by the state so that we can begin to heal. What would you say to somebody that says all cops aren't bastards? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> what does Spike Cohen, who is running for vice president, want to say about that statement? Listen, I Somebody I know, just told me that, so I'm just curious how, what you would say. Well, here's what I would <laughs> say. You that. I, have, I have people in my family and people I love very much who are officers and retired police officers, who are both active and retired police officers. My beef is not with individual police officers. My beef is with the institutional the institution of militarized law enforcement because you know and i this was in a a podcast i just did before i came on this one we were talking about how no one hates the fire department no one hates paramedics because paramedics come because they're needed whereas the police the organization of law enforcement not just the the militarized aspect of it but law enforcement right right now largely exists to extract revenue for you know, small offenses that have no victim. Usually it's just a matter of you didn't comply with bylaw X. And so, you know, that's going to cost you 250 bucks. Uh, and enforcement of the war on drugs and the, and the war on sex work and, you know, the, the war on victim, victimless commerce. If you remove that and you make it where the police are only out here to defend people against, you know, rape and murder and theft and, and, and all of that and to defend people's lives and property, we'd all love the police. Unless you were a you know a thief or a racist or a rapist or a a murderer, then you wouldn't like the police. But we need to create those conditions that we're not having a conversation about what the police are or are not. Because right now, when a lot of people see the police, they don't think cheery thoughts. They don't think, oh good, I don't have to worry about being harmed. They start looking around to make sure they're not inadvertently violating some rule. Right. When it's, you're driving like down the, the street, between like seeing a security guard outside of your bar. Where you're like, okay, this guy's kind of, you know, keeping the place safe. He's not just going to exactly. harass me walking out the door. He's keeping your car exactly. from getting broken into. Right, right. Yeah, but exactly. When I see the cop, exactly. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, oh shit, do I have any, uh, 
substances around that yeah, I do I have any about? weed on me do I have any weed on me did I for, did I forget to you know uh, uh, renew my my uh, in, uh, registration on my car right. is my tail light out am I gonna give this is this guy gonna take a look at me and you know not like how I look and so he's going to give me a hard time about you know that's not how we should be interacting with the police and that right. is entirely a function of the war on drugs the war on victimless commerce and the the just the overall militarization and institutionalization of the police treating us as combatants yeah, I, I agree with that stuff I I think there I'd like more discussion about arrest techniques I don't understand how after the Eric Garner situation where they choked him out and he ended up dying that police departments around the country aren't more sensitive to uh, letting the person they arrest breathe. Uh, I would think that would be a, a big priority. So I just nobody's really talking about the, the techniques that they're actually using to apprehend people. I have no idea what this guy was thinking, putting his knee on a guy's neck for an extended period of time. Now, thankfully, he was, as I understand it, he was arrested on, I believe, third, third degree murder or something like that. I don't know if what he did was considered a legit, uh, you know, uh, uh, detainment uh, uh, procedure or anything like that. And I don't I don't claim to be an expert on that subject. But here's what I will say. Overall, again, the police need to be remembering and 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 this is not just the individual police, but the policymakers, the 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 people that are determining the the standards of operation for police departments need to remember that we are not the enemy. We are just the people out trying to live our lives. You know, we often hear the police are just trying to get home safe to their families. So are we. So was George Floyd. Brianna Taylor was already safe at home with her family. Tamir Rice who was, you know, uh, uh, killed for having a BB gun and, and, and the police never bothered to, even though the person who called 911 about it said that it was probably a, a BB gun that he had, you know, they came within a, a couple feet of him and basically told him to put his gun down at the same time that they were shooting him. This was a 12 year old. Uh, the person, I forget who his name was. Um, and maybe one of you can tell me that video of the guy with the uh, he had like, a, I don't know if it was a, a AR-15 or an M-14 or, or M, M, M4 or whatever he had, but where he was giving this ridiculous set of instructions to someone who was oh, coming guy. out of a hotel room. Yeah. It was mm -hmm. uh, Daniel Shaver. Yeah. Yeah, Daniel I Shaver. I believe was his name. And it, that was it, the cop's you know, name, right? I, the cop was actually not the guy giving the orders. It was the, the shooter was... The shooter was next to the guy giving the orders, which okay. kind of changed the video a little bit for me. But it does speak to your point about how they're overly militarized and overly aggressive and very much treating it like, you know, this is a this is a combat situation. And meanwhile, right. this drunken guy is like crawling down the hallway, cr crying and sobbing. Um, you know, it was hard to watch. Um, and, and he was shot because he didn't comply with a conflicting set of rules. At no point in that video was he doing anything dangerous or doing anything that posed a threat to those officers. The officer shot him because he didn't do something that was physically impossible. And I, for, I forget what the set of instructions were, but it was like, you know, put your hands behind your back, but keep your hands out or something like that. Right. And it was like, because he didn't do something that was physically impossible to do, the cops saw fit to kill him. And that he was trying to crawl to the end of the hallway and then his pants were falling down and he reached back to pull his pants up and the officer thought he was drawing a gun. At least that was the officer's defense in trial. So when you look, you look at it in, in slow frame, his hand goes back. It looks, it does look like a gun draw, but I mean, the guy was completely drunk. Let's I mean, face was, it. The police union narrative fabricator came up with that after they yeah, saw I, the Yeah, I watched that right? video and, and there was, I mean, maybe if you just looked at that one frame, you could conclude that. But it's looking the at best, the, It's the best they could come up with. Well, well guys, yeah. I mean, he, he had the safety on until the guy's hand goes back. Like they did it in slow-mo in the trial. And, you know, so that, that was why the officer got off. You know, there, there was a lot more information that comes out in trial than what the Internet detectives realized. But I still think that the cops were, at, to your point, overly aggressive. I don't know what's up with the Mesa Police Department, but, like, they're very, very aggressive. Well, what about, it uh, could be steroids? And I think there's a, what do you think, I mean, do you think there's a culture of aggression? I mean, when we saw George Floyd getting murdered, there were three other cops, at least, standing there nonchalantly, 
as if nothing, this is nothing new. This is just another day at the office. Uh, we do it. Yeah. And we see that all the time. Like everybody, like whenever there's a, there's a brutal uh, situation, all the other cops are just, you know, they're either joining in or, or just, you know, trying to uh, block camera views or, but generally assisting in whatever uh, crime is being committed by police. They're, they're right there to back it. And isn't that like, is that a, where does that culture come from? Which, and that's arguably more troubling, or it's at least as troubling as the person actually doing that thing is that there are others kind of standing there like, yeah, this is how we do it. Yeah. Or it may be, well, I don't like that this is happening, but we don't stop each other. And that's a huge problem. Um, I, I think there's two things. I think, first of all, the the standards of operation that they're using are obviously way too aggressive considering they're dealing with just us, public. We're not terrorists. We're just people living our lives. And I think also it's sort of a chicken or egg thing. I'm not sure which came first, but now knowing that that's what it is, I think it invites a lot of people who want to be aggressive into that. Um, and so I think it, it sort of feeds into it that, you know, we end up with this sort of over militarized and, and I don't even like using the word militarized because again, military that are overseas fighting against, you know, combatants, they have a higher set of standards. Now, meanwhile, they're going and invading other people's countries and killing them and those people are defending themselves against it. But even still, the way that they treat those enemy combatants, they actually have to have more restraint in those situations than police do with us, with you know civilians who are just living our lives. So it, it, it is an absolute problem. And I'm sure there's a cultural issue to it. I mean, there's, this, there's the statistics about, uh, there was a, a study done back in, oh, I forget when, I want to say 2001 or 2003. Uh, and it said something along the lines of, they believe that as many as 40% of uh, police officers uh, are ha have been in, in domestic abuse situations. Um, that lends itself to the idea that there is 40 a 40% reported. 40% reported. <laughs> uh, yeah, 40% reported. Uh, that lends itself to the idea of a culture of aggression. And, you know, if that aggression was only being used against people that are, you know, harming others, then maybe that would be a good thing. But when it's being used against people whose taillights are out or whose expiration, their, you know, registration expired, or they, you know, uh, are, are possessing or selling a product that the government decided uh, is worse than alcohol for some reason, then, uh, then now it's a real problem. What did you happen to see Jim Bovard's recent column? And I'll just read you the headline. Cops okay. killed because we gave them the legal framework to do it. And, and he addresses qualified immunity and the role that that plays in, when, in, uh, in just sort of creating this, this, this culture of aggression with, because of the just complete lack of accountability. Would, he, do you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I haven't read that exact article before. I haven't read that. But qualified immunity is a huge problem. I, I understand that, that there is some level of allowing police to do their job. But I think what's happened now is if it's done in the course of just, you know, of just regular enforcing of the law, they can claim immunity to it. And it's like, okay, but you killed someone or you beat someone or you, I mean, uh, uh, you know, there was a case of a, a sex worker in Ohio, I believe, and I forget her name now, but uh, she was raped multiple times and killed. She was pulled over by police and raped multiple times and killed. And as far as I know, no one went to jail for that. Some people got fired for it. That's a huge problem. Yeah. If any of us did that, we would rightfully be uh, prosecuted, possibly even put on death row for that, depending on the state that we're in. And I wouldn't be too upset to hear that someone who you know raped and murdered someone got put on death row. I'm I'm not in favor. I'm against the death penalty. But if I heard that case, I wouldn't get too upset about it. Um, and yet here they are going free for it. Hmm. So no, uh, qualified immunity in general is a, is a major problem. What's the uh, plan for the campaign here? Um, because you know you guys are. You know, there's a lot of people quarantined. It's tough to shake hands. It's tough to yeah. do the things that normally are involved Kiss in a babies. campaign. Have you guys talked about what the plan is? Yeah, during COVID-19, it's hard for anyone to get you to, you know, let you kiss their baby, right? Like, and it's like, kiss my baby. <laughs> Wait, isn't um, COVID, I thought COVID-19 is over now that we can be afraid of looting and riots and stuff. 
<laughs> that's an interesting dynamic, right? Because it was like I was saying, no one was rioting uh, before the, the police were went back to murdering people. In fact, uh, everyone was staying home. A lot of these people that are protesting were telling everyone to stay home and stay six feet away from each other. And it's an interesting thing. But, you know, with what's going on right now, we're obviously going to be doing heavy, at least for the next, at least until things really fully open up again we're going to be doing a lot of online campaigning, right? Um, because even as things are opening up, people are still kind of hesitant to, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, you can finally go to the furniture store. You can finally go get your haircut. You can finally go to the beach or whatever. It's another thing to say, yeah, let's all hang out. You know, let's, let's 500 of us hang out and do something. Um, so there's going to be some hesitancy there for that. Um, but with, with that said, you know, so I think at least in the short term, we're going to be doing a lot of online campaigning. But I find that to be a great equalizer. So usually Donald Trump, Joe Biden, the Republicans can fill up stadiums with AstroTurf and they can they can, you know, get up in front of a, a, you know, a podium and have, you know, dozens or hundreds of people behind them and kind of exude this idea of inevitability or popularity to the people watching this idea that look at all these people behind me. Why aren't you behind me? Everyone else is behind me. Well, now, like I like to say, we're all just a bunch of schmucks in front of our webcams. Right. Joe Biden has a podcast. It's a great equalizer. And, and John, you know, Joe I have Biden a feeling now, a lot of people are excited that Joe Biden won't be on stage with them. Right. Like, what? like, I, I think with Joe Biden's <laughs> the kind of candidate, even if you're his supporter, you'd rather see him on a Skype chat than you let him near through, your kid. Can you, you know? sniff through a webcam? I don't know. Sniff, sniff. Well, that, that's the new that's the new thing being rolled out by Zoom is the ability to sniff your your, your the people you're, you're talking to. The smell but no, it, I, yeah. I've been saying to people, you know, everyone's been trying to stay at least six feet away from Joe Biden for quite a while. Imagine how he feels not having to reciprocate. Um, but so I, uh, you know, so, you know, he, he now has to have a podcast, which sucks. His podcast is terrible. And so, you know, my podcast is way better. This podcast is way better than his. So we're all just people in front of our webcams now. The only difference is there are people in webcam in front of webcams having to defend this whole thing that they've created. You know, they have terrible ideas. We're people in front of our webcams with amazing ideas. So I find it to be a great equalizer. You know, our use of being able to, to do podcasting interviews and viral videos and viral marketing, um, you know, is going to be incredible as an equalizer. With that said, we will be, uh, you know, going to events as things begin to open up. And of course, if you want to help us get to events, go to donate joj2020.com. Uh, we would love to come to your events. If you want to see this smiling face at your libertarian or liberty adjacent event, or, uh, you know, just speak out at something like or a your, pride your clothing rally optional or, event or whatever's going on. Clothing <laughs> optional, you know, whatever you want to do, be happy to go there. I uh, just got to uh, donate.joj2020.com. Uh, we need the funds to be able to get out to these different things and be able to effectively uh, market. But not yeah, no, I think the majority of our marketing is going to be online, at least in the, in the short term, uh, I think coming into later on in the summer, we'll be doing more offline stuff uh, as we see, uh, you know, as appropriate. Uh, but that's uh, that's how we'll be doing it. You've got to get the bumper stickers and yard signs out. You know, I mean, libertarians love that stuff. Yep. I don't know if they're available yet. Not quite yet, but we will have branded merchandise out very soon. Awesome. Very good. Nice. What about blimps? Any, any, <laughs> any, uh, are there blimps happening? Or, A giant uh, Joe Spike blimp with my face on it. Just like, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, um, that's that has not been. Uh, we have not talked about blimp. again when there aren't a lot of people outside. What, who's, yeah, who's, who's going to see the blimp? <laughs> yeah, who's going to see the blimp? So maybe a virtual blimp. But uh, you know, blimps <laughs> work over stadiums full of people, not so much over like stadiums that are empty. Right. Well, uh, yeah, uh, Spike. Um, thanks for coming on here, man. We're we're just about out of time. We're about to head over to our after hours program. Is there anything that, that you would like to plug? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, JOJ2020.com. Um, and to you know, reach out to us on social media. Uh, if you look for Joe Jorgensen for president or Spike Cohen on, uh, on uh, Twitter or Facebook, uh, you'll find us there. Um, and um, you know, if you want to donate, donate.joj2020.com. If you want to volunteer, joj2020.com and press the volunteer button and you can fill out our form and volunteer for us. Uh, the most powerful thing you can do is share our content uh, share your libertarian ideas with other why, with others. Why you think that the ideas, the libertarian ideas of self ownership and uh, you know and uh, ending the wars and ending the war on drugs, ending the sex, uh, the, the war on sex work, uh, lowering or eliminating taxes. We want to get rid of the IRS. 
um, how people will benefit from that, how that will be a direct benefit to you and your loved ones and your your neighbors and, and communities. Um, and to talk to people about those ideas. But yeah, donate.joj2020.com. Donate.joj2020.com. What about your podcast? My podcast? Oh, Muddy Waters? Yeah, sure. So uh, uh, if you want to see Muddy Waters, we are on all social media, Muddy Waters Media. Uh, you'll be able to see all of our fun memes that we have and our and our shows that air on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Coming soon, Tom Arnold will be doing the Hick Lossifer on Thursdays, I believe. Um, that'll be on Muddy Waters Media. And uh, we'd love to see you on all or both of those things. Awesome. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah. Well, um, this podcast is brought to you in part by Conversations About Freedom podcast hosted by Moral Bob. We also have uh, t-shirts at libertariancountry.com. If you type in the code PRL, you'll receive a 10% discount. If you spend $50 or more and you type in the code PRL2, you'll receive a 20% discount. Until next time, live free or die. That is shed. Treachery, the flags are the tax bombs in red. Was it by a few at the expense of the many? Soldiers and cards in the machine. You can't justify killing by economic gain. For God, country, and democracy. You can put freedom in that point in a fine land. You support the truth, then bring them home. I believe the jokes will do the best for you. And I believe that we. Have the power, have the power I hate the state And I know I'm a slave We can make a break Break the power, break the power Society of individuals Nothing more than not interference With natural rights With a virtuous person fully comprehends The non-aggression principle The violence of the state becomes Absolutely!